Hey everybody, this is Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church Adelaide and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you can have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our preaching team. So in the midst of a series called Sparking Joy, Marie Kondo, she must have known this when she was doing the KonMari method that she'd inspire sermon series. It's probably why she did it. I don't know. Don't know her personally, just like to make assumptions. And uh, anyway, moving on. This is all about the book of Philippians, where we're preaching through the book of Philippians, which is this wonderful short book of the Bible that Paul writes. Paul is uh, one of the first Christian converts. He has this powerful conversion experience. And the more I read Paul's letters, the more I realize why he needed this experience, because we, the church, needed Paul. We needed his theology. We needed his wisdom. We need the way he understands the gospel of grace and unpacks it and shares it with the world. So Paul went around preaching all across the Mediterranean and all of sort of, uh, where are we, Western Asia and and, uh, some of the Middle East and planting churches. We've got one little church here. Paul went and planted churches all across Europe and Asia because he's a show off that way. And then he wrote all these letters to these communities to, to encourage them and spur them on in the faith and to occasionally tell them off and discipline them. But when he wrote Philippians, his heart was full of joy. Because the Philippian church was one that encouraged him and supported him both financially and prayerfully, and one that really worked hard to be in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul, his heart just overflows with love. Read the first seven or eight verses of Philippians, and Paul just goes on and on about how much he loves them. It's like, all right, Paul, like, get a room, mate. Settle down. Um, he, you know, he goes on and on about how much he loves them. And again and again, this word joy comes up. The joy of the Lord, the joy in my heart, the joy that God brings me because of you and that I pray you have because of me. It's this synchronistic joy that Paul believes they should have. And so we're two weeks in. Bryant preached a cracker week one. I did fine the week after, but you can hear them on the podcast. Really want to encourage you, jump on our podcasts. Better yet, rate and review them on iTunes and your podcast provider. We actually, we don't do this to give us as props. We do this because we believe our podcasts are a ministry of the church. This is a way that we can reach people who can't physically be in the building, who maybe are longing for connection with God, but aren't ready for connection with other people in this space yet. And so we pray and we send out our podcasts knowing that they're doing God's work. Anyway, Philippians 3 this week. I'm a little fired up this week. You all ready for it? Okay. Let's talk about running for a minute. Clearly. (laughs) Let's talk about running for a minute. So I, uh, I was at cricket last night, my son's cricket. No, last night? Friday night. Friday night at my son's cricket, his last match of the year, I am sitting in a deck chair, I literally have a beer cracked, like it's perfect Australian summer. Grace, my daughter, walks up to me, she's like, Dad, want to race? Like, like, this isn't something adults come up and say to each other very often, right? <laughs> when you have kids, sometimes this happens, she's like, hey, let's race. So what, what had happened is the Oval, they'd obviously had some sports event uh, at the Oval recently, and so it had the whole like sort of four-lane racing track or six lanes or whatever around the entirety of the Oval. I was like, ugh. I mean, clearly the answer is no, but I'm your dad and I love you and I want you to know that. So fine, fine. Let's race. Let's do it. So she's like, all right, we'll do a lap at the Oval. 400 metres. Now, 400 metres is your classic this looks shorter than it is length of, of, of running. Like, we, we do park run, a lot of the guys here, that's 5Ks, obviously much further, but you know it's further, so you're kind of pacing yourself. 400, you look and you're like, I can sprint that, <laughs> but you can't. 
<laughs> so we get there, and Grace is like, can I have a head start? And he's like, yeah, you better, kid. Go on. Have a bit of a head start. Bit more. Bit more. All right. Here we go. Gets down. And instead of saying, ready, set, go, she just looks over her shoulder, nods and runs. I'm like, okay, well, that's the start. So we start running, and I'm sort of powering through for a few steps. And I'm like, ooh, this is a little further than I realized. Also, Grace is a little faster than I remember her being. This can't happen. This isn't okay. So I'm just sort of start to step it up a bit, step it up a bit. And so we get to about 200 meters. I've gained a little bit, but nowhere near as much as I would like. Also, I'm realizing I'm nowhere near as fit as I thought, and I didn't think I was that fit. So I'm just saying, the bar was low, and I was still below the bar. <laughs> anyway, we get to about 250, and I start going, okay, okay, I cannot be beaten by this, my daughter. So I start to put on, the, put on the boosters a little bit with whatever little I have left. And by the time we get to about 280, I'm actually pretty close. I'm only about four metres behind. And Grace flicks, looks over her shoulder, like the very competitive family we have, and tries to run a bit. So for the next 20, she pushes a bit harder, but I'm managing to catch up. I'm only a couple of metres behind. And we get to the 300 metre mark, and I'm, I'm, starting, I'm, I'm getting to that point that all parents get to when they go, okay... I've proven my point. <laughs> do I beat her or do I pretend like I'm just about to lose? Like, I know at this point I can beat her. And she stops. We're at the 300 meter mark and she just stops. It's like, what, 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 just, ha- what just happened? What, why, why are we stopped? She's like, oh, oh no. Oh, no, I'm t- tired. I can't do it. I'm like, what? Like, I just I couldn't believe it. I was so frustrated with her. Now, I wasn't frustrated with her because she wasn't fast or that she wasn't faster than me. In fact, I was secretly very pleased about that. <laughs> and I wasn't frustrated that she didn't set her best time or anything like that. I was frustrated because she gave up. She just stopped. She's like, no, no, I'm done. I don't even want to. All right, let's walk back to the chairs. It's like, great. This isn't how we do things. And in this chapter of Philippians, Paul is, and it was very convenient that that happened. It's always convenient when the preaching analogy just gets handed to you the weekend of. <laughs> In, in this chapter of Philippians, Paul is saying there is a goal to your life, church. There is a purpose to your life. But the problem is so often we get stopped. We get stopped. And Paul is saying to his people, keep going, keep going, keep going. Don't stop. And so I want to explore that tonight. But I want to start by asking you, what is the goal of your life? And are you equipped to reach it? And is it the goal that God has for you? So let's, let's jump into a quick overview of chapter 3 of Philippians. If you want 1 and 2, listen to the podcast, read them for yourselves. Really get into Philippians this month. Really immerse yourself in it. So it starts with this. Paul is warning the church in Philippi not to put any confidence in the law and specifically warns against circumcision. Okay, that seems really specific to us in this day and age. But of course, for the people of Israel back at that time, circumcision among men was a sign that they were the people of Israel. That's how you knew. I'm not sure how you proved it to each other in polite company. I'm just saying, that's how they knew. I guess you just took each other's word for it. I hope they just took each other's word for it. But the thing is, even though this was the sign of being God's people, Paul is saying this is too simple. It's like saying... I support this sporting team, so I'm getting a tattoo of them. Look at me, I'm in the team. No, you're not. You just got a badly advised tattoo, and this is why every tattoo parlor should have a breathalyzer in it and actually use them. That, I'm just saying, just getting a tattoo of your favorite sports team doesn't mean you're in the team. Getting a tattoo of your favorite band doesn't mean you're in the band. It just means 
you like them, you're just sort of affiliated with it. Can you see the difference? So even though this is something quite drastic, circumcision, it is something in which Paul is trying to say, that doesn't mean you're following Jesus. It just means you've had a procedure. That's all. Probably don't Google that when you get home, but have a conversation with somebody about it. Now, he then goes on to explain that all the qualifications that you need to be saved through the law, actually Paul has, and then some, and then some, and then some. But that he considers this totally unimportant compared to knowing Jesus. So in verses 4 and 5, he's unpacking it by just outlining his credentials and saying, if I wanted to, I could brag about who I was because of this, but I don't care. I'm actually more interested in some other stuff. And he goes on to say, to me, I don't care about anything except Jesus. Everything is worthless. And there's this phrase that he says, um, for his sake, I've had suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. A lot of translations say rubbish. A more accurate translation would be crap. I count this all as crap, everything I have. It is junk, it is rubbish, it is nothing compared to Jesus. Now, as best as we can understand it, the letter to the church in Philippi was probably written from prison. So he is saying, in prison, look at me, I've suffered the loss of everything and I could care less because I have Jesus. And then he goes on to encourage the Philippian church to become mature in faith and to continue to look forward to the coming of Jesus and the renewal of the heavens and the earth. That's cliff notes for chapter three. But what I want to dig into is a specific five verses that look at the race set before us, the race of our life. So let's have a look. If you've got a Bible with you, open it up to Philippians chapter three. Uh, if you don't, I give you every permission to download the Version Bible app right now. Uh, it'll be up on the screen behind you, but it's always great to have your Bible open in front of you because it lets you make notes, lets you unpack things. I want to encourage us to be a church of note takers, a church that is really going, God, what are you saying to me? I want to write that down. I want to get what you have for me tonight. Anyway, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I have already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it already. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and reaching forward to what's ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. This is the word of the Lord. So this is... Uh, this particular passage, I, I'm reading from the CSB translation, the Christian Standard Bible. You'll find in all your different translations, there's lots of different variants in that. You notice that? If you're reading an NIV or an ESV or whatever, you'll notice lots of different variations. Um, and and this, there's a, a reason for this. There's a lot of nuance going on here. Paul loves to use metaphors. So Paul was a Pharisee, which is kind of like a lawyer, and so he would often make his case. You'll often find that in his letters, that he's kind of making a case. And so often he'll put that in legal terms because that's what he knows. But sometimes he'll switch it up. And just before this passage, he starts talking about profit and loss. He's talking in financial terms. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
Profit and loss. Then he switches gears and he starts talking in sports terms. So immediately I pay attention. This is more my gear. Like literally, you don't want to put me near a balance sheet. I did finance one in my first year of uni. I failed it so badly. I came out of the exam and my friends were like, did you get the balance sheet to balance? And honestly, 100% this is true. I paused and went, hold up, hold up. It's meant to balance? The balance sheet, did you know, meant to balance, news to me. Anyway, don't put me near that, but give me a sports analogy and I'm all over it. So Paul is speaking my language. He switches metaphors and switches to sports language and describes something he calls the heavenly call or the upward call of God in Christ. So we've talked about this before here at Encounter, but I just want to quickly just point out that when Paul is talking about a heavenly call, he's not talking about when you die, you're going to wear your best white dress and float off into heaven. No, he's talking about the renewal of heaven and earth. He's talking about the upward call to be more like Jesus. And he's showing just figuratively like God's above us, just in case you didn't know. This is how it works. God is above us in terms of his ethics and morality. We are not God. We are not able to be. It's only through Jesus we can. And we're chasing this heavenly call. But it's not, it's not this disembodied like angels on clouds playing harps. I just, I just want people to get a sense of that so we get a sense of what it is we're actually believing, yeah? All right, let's push on. But Paul's point in the metaphor is that while it's all about Jesus, right? It's all about Jesus. Jesus began this process. He began to bring heaven to earth at the first Christmas when he was born. And he's going to be the one to come back and complete the renewal of all things. But in the meantime, in the incredible grace of God, he has you and he has me. We are his hands and feet on earth at this time. And here's what I want to talk about in this particular passage. Paul's got these four things that I want to talk about. And it's about the race of our lives and the things that we do to stop ourselves. Okay? So if we use Paul's language of seeing life as a race, there are a whole bunch of things that stop us from winning the race. Now, Paul does this a bunch of other times, by the way, too, talking about life as a race. But when, when you're trying to follow Jesus, what you find very quickly is that you start with the best of intentions at some point and you set off in a direction and then you end up kind of veering backwards and forwards and stumbling and falling down and outright just running in the wrong direction. This is, this is kind of the way of us as human beings. We, we slip and we stuff up and that's okay. There's so much grace for us in that. But there is a race set before us to run and I want to point out four different things to light that we can draw on, Okay. So if you're making notes, and remember, I want us to be a note-taking church, so make notes. No, whatever. There's four markers that I want to consider as like hurdles, okay? So I've got this tape on the ground. This is, imagine this is our running race, okay? We've got four things that you want to consider as hurdles, okay? And if you're writing them down, the first one is this, your past, your past. So we start, we start off walking towards God. We're like, all right, I'm keen for this. Let's go. We start walking towards God. And suddenly something comes up and we veer off. And it's the stuff that happens in our past. It's the baggage in our lives. This is what Paul says about it in chapter 3, verse 13b. He says, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. Paul says, Your stance as a believer, as somebody who's trying to follow Jesus as best as you can, is to put behind you what has happened in the past and push forward towards the future. We like to use the language here at Encounter that we're a future-focused church, and we fully are. 
we are much less interested in where you've come from and everything you've been through than where you are going. Not because we don't don't think that's important, but because we don't want you to get tripped up by it. We don't want you to feel overcome because a lot of the stuff we do, we walk into church, and if you're new here, maybe you've experienced this tonight, you walk in and you look around, you're like, oh man, all these people have got it together except me. Uh, Spoilers, they really don't. I do, but the rest of them are struggling. (laughs) Except now I've got a problem with my marriage because my wife's in the audience and she heard me say that. So none of us have it together. None of us have it together. But we come into, have you guys experienced this before? You come into a place, especially a new church, and we're like, oh, man, these people, oh, they look like they've got it together. Uh, look, look, at the, look at Jade. What a legend. She's got it all together. How am I supposed to compete with that? Oh, look at Ash. Are you serious? I can't compete with Ash. Look at her. Unbelievable. Look at her new hair. It's incredible. You can look at it if you want. It looks really good. <laughs> but this is what we do. We convince ourselves by playing a comparison game that we are struggling and everyone else is doing better. Instagram plays into it big time. Refer to literally any sermon I've ever preached to hear more about that. We have this comparison game we're playing because we carry baggage with us that we're not prepared to let go. Here are a few of the things that that hold us back as we're trying to follow Jesus. The first one is this, your family of origin. Your family of origin plays a much more powerful role in your life than you realize. Now, this goes a couple of ways. Some people, oh man, I get frustrated by this. God bless you if you're this person, but I do get frustrated. Some people grow up in homes with Christian parents who have loved them and poured into them spiritually and everything they wanted to could be together. And they get to a point where they're like, oh, life's been really good, but I don't know. I don't know about my faith because I haven't had a struggle to overcome. It's like... Don't complain about that. That's like, okay, the struggles will come. Just enjoy, enjoy it while it lasts, okay? But this, this is what we try and do as parents. We're trying to provide a platform for our kids not to be burdened by us. And the family of origin stuff goes like this. We get to a point in development where when you, if you're under four, basically you're like, mum is my world, that's all I want. If you're dad, you may as well not exist, I don't care. And you get to a little bit further... And you get to about five or six, and between the ages of about five and ten, five and eleven, the kids immediately split and they go genderwards. They're like, if I'm a little boy, my dad is my hero, they can do no wrong. I've got a, a six-year-old and an, and an eight-year-old, and it's really like, it's just good times right now. I'm like, hey guys, want to watch TV? They're like, Dad, that's the best idea, I love you. <laughs> awesome. Is this what parenting's like? <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and, and, but the females do the same. With the, with the mother, because they begin to start mimicking what's going on, which puts a pretty big burden on us as parents. Because if they're mimicking that behavior, they're beginning to learn behavior between the ages of five and 10 that they're going to carry with them the rest of their life. Which means if you go to the footy and you're screaming obscenities at an umpire, guess what your kids are going to start doing? You'll be like, where did they learn that behavior? Uh, yeah, it's not that complicated. <laughs> and then they get to 11 and things shift. Immediately, they start to hit puberty, and they do two things. One, they go the other way. They begin to clash with the parent of the same gender more and more often. Mothers and daughters, fathers and sons begin to clash because there's this sense that they're growing up into manhood, growing up into womanhood. and that, So there's a, this sense of competition going on. But last week, what I preached on was servanthood. And as parents, what we do is we lay ourselves down as servants. We lay our egos down, and as much as we can, we lift our children up out of love, because part of our job is to get out of their way 
at this point in time to help them develop. And guess what? That's why at Encounter Kids, we set up these people to sow into their lives so that when the parents need to take one step back, not a lot, but one step back, they've got someone else to go to. But the whole point of this family of origin stuff is that you then get to about 17, 18, 19, and either you're, you're young adulting, you're getting a job, you're going to uni, some of you guys are in this stage of life, 2021, 20, you're getting in relationships, and all through your teenage years, the one thing you went was, I'm not going to be anything like, pick your parent, whichever one. And then you get to about 25, and you're like, oh, my sweet Jesus, I'm exactly the same as them. <laughs> and for some of us, this is wonderful. And for some of us, it's not. And for every one of us, there is some stuff that's happened in our lives that's just bad behaviours that our parents have because we all have them. Nobody's perfect. That's the thing that happens at about 11 or 12 as well. As they start to get older, they hit puberty. They're like, wait, my parents aren't perfect. I can talk back. Well, actually, they'll probably do that already. But they'll push back harder. And, and so everyone gets to about 25, 28, 30, whatever the age is, and they go, wow, I have all these traits I swore I would never have. What do I do with them? Our job as followers of Jesus is to lay them down at the cross and go, God, I want you to do a work in me. I've inherited this anger from my dad. I need you to do a work in that in Jesus' name. I've inherited this passive aggressiveness from my mum. I need you to do a work in that in Jesus' name. Otherwise, our family of origin will own us. And the thing that's even stronger than that is a sense not a spirit. I actually don't believe in this. I think it's the sense that comes down through our family line that says, this has happened repeatedly through my family. I guess it'll happen to me too. I have to take this for granted. Which means that for some of you, if you have families that have had a problem with alcohol addiction, you need to rebuke that in Jesus' name and claim that when you begin your walk, you do not have to suffer from that same problem. You have to be thoughtful in your actions, but you have to be thoughtful in your spirit too. You have to be prayerful in that. If you've come from a, a family whose parents, where the parents have split up, you do not have to repeat the same behavior. You rebuke that in Jesus' name. You be thoughtful about your behavior, and you be prayerful about your spirit, and you keep walking on. Is this good? You, you, you don't have to be subject to your own past because God is creating a new future for you. That's what Paul was trying to say. Forgetting what lies behind, pressing on to what comes ahead. It doesn't matter... The burdens that have been in your family past, you can start fresh in Jesus. That's family, family of origin. The second one is really obvious, and that's your personal history. Your personal history, right? Your experiences that you've lived with, the, the conversations you've had, they shape who you are. And sometimes they are holding you back because you've got these predisposed ideas that you are struggling to get, to get rid of. Now, if you're somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus, right now, you will find it difficult to follow the will of God as outlined in Scripture. That's not exactly rocket science, is it? You don't believe it, why would you follow it, right? But part of our job as followers of Jesus is to become conformed to the image of Christ. Not me, by the way, Christ. Become conformed to the image of Christ. And to do that, we actually need to lay down some of our experiences, or better yet, drag them under the spotlight and go, God, have I been looking at this the wrong way? A fantastic example of this is any time we take our, for those of us who are, who are born and raised in Australia, we take our Australian experience overseas and bring it into another culture and go, oh, wait, I'm just looking at it through my lens, 
my cultural lens. There's a whole other culture interpreting the same idea, the same action differently. What's this about? It's about humility. It's about being willing to bring our experiences into the light. The last one is, is simply sin. The sin and brokenness in our lives. This is a burden. This is a piece of baggage that is holding us back. Sin is what drags us off this path. And it's because we just don't want to let it go. Sin, in essence, is saying that we know better than God does. It's saying that we have a way that's better than God does. We have things that are better than God has for us. But I've got to tell you, that's simply not true. God has a plan and a purpose for you that if you keep pursuing it, and you keep being courageous enough to take your sins and your burdens and lay them down before Jesus, you are going to be staggered at what God does in your life. It is so good. Tom Wright, one of the greatest New Testament theologians currently living, puts it this way. He suggests that Paul is asking the question, is our past keeping us enslaved from the possibilities of our future? We're a future-focused church, but unless we deal with our past, we can't move on from there. My youngest son, Noah, has this game where he likes to pretend to be a dead weight. Most kids do this, but Noah does it while he's holding onto my leg like a koala bear. He thinks it's hilarious. And so I just have to try and drag him around. And he's actually really difficult to prize off. I assume real koalas are like this also. Ash, is that true? Yep. So he's like a real koala. Uh, I have a koala living in my house too. So there you go. It's it's just a thing now. (laughs) And walking around with Noah as a dead weight is kind of what it's like trying to drag your baggage behind you, drag your sin around. It's You can't just get on and run the race that God has put before you. You've actually got to deal with the problem and run on. So maybe what's happening tonight is that God is saying you've got to deal with your past in order to run on and find your future in Christ. Is that good? All right, second hurdle. The other ones are a bit shorter. Second hurdle is pride. First one's the past. Second is pride. This is what Paul says. The other part of Philippians 3.13, he says this, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. Now, Paul, by any stretch of the imagination, is a pretty decent Christian. He does quite well. He preaches everywhere he goes, and he plants churches, and he makes disciples, and he loves Jesus so passionately he's jailed for him. There's very few people going, well, I don't know if Paul was actually that great. He was really good. He wrote half the New Testament, okay? He was really good, just so we're clear. But Paul is saying, I don't consider that I've arrived. I don't consider that I'm a particularly great Christian. In fact, the older Paul got, the more he used language to say, I'm the worst. I'm the chief of all sinners. That's what he calls himself in comparison to Christ. But I have so much because of Christ. And so Paul is saying to us here, we've got to keep cutting down our pride. You haven't arrived. So let's say you're running this race of Christ. You're like, yes, I had all this baggage from my past. Put it at the foot of the cross in Jesus' name. Let's go. Pursue. This is roughly the pace and action in which I ran the 400 meters on Friday night. Pursue. All right, coming here. All right, now I'm stumbling. Why? Because, and I want, to, I want to particularly address this to my beautiful friends under 25 in the congregation. What I find is if when you walk with Jesus for about five years and, and you start to take it seriously and you start to pack scripture in and you pray and you build friendships and you go to church and you're going on mission trips, you're doing all these great things, you get to this point where you start, you basically do the spiritual equivalent of well actuallying people. Like people are going, oh, this is so great. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm just 
praising Jesus tonight? And they're like, well, actually, you're praising God the Father through Christ the Son, so it's probably more appropriate to say praising God. You know, like you get the theology nerds come out in full and they're like, check out the things I know, and nobody's impressed, right? Like every now and then this will happen after a sermon. Sometimes people want clarification or stuff. That's all good. Sometimes people will well actually me after a sermon. I'm like, man, I research this stuff. I have a degree. I'm not an idiot. Like I make mistakes, but, you know, and then I, you try very hard not to well actually people back. <laughs> when you get to this point that you begin to grow up into Christ, don't assume you have it all together. There are two routes that we go. One is that we get right into the word of God and we get all this knowledge and all this information, and we go, you guys have some things to learn, and we're finger-pointing, and we start to look like, well, Pharisees, the very people Jesus reserved his harshest criticism for. We get to be these hypocrites that are pointing our fingers at people because we suddenly learn things when God's going, actually, I want to do a work in your spirit. Forget about that. Or better yet, do you know why I helped you to understand this knowledge? so that you can help them, not to point at them from afar. Be their friend. Be kind to them. That's one way that we go. That's one way that people go. The other way is to actually go, well, yeah, a lot of people in my church feel this way um, about God, but I listened to this podcast once of this other person, and um, yeah, I see things in a different light. I guess I've kind of moved past that way of thinking. I, when I was your age, I thought that way too. It's like, oh, give me a break. So many people, when they say we've moved past that way of thinking, are saying we've moved past Jesus, in essence. And there is a spirit in us of pride that is welling up that we need to crucify. We need to give it to Jesus and say, actually, God, without you, I have nothing. And with you, I have everything, but I've just got to acknowledge it's yours. And I'm running this race, and this pride is tripping me up, and I need your help. Maybe tonight what you need to lay down is your pride, your stumbling block. And remember that we are never above others, whether you follow Jesus for a day or a decade or a lifetime. We're all in the same boat. We're pursuing Christ-likeness. Some of us are a bit older in the faith, they're a bit younger in the faith. It doesn't matter. We are brothers and sisters building each other up in Christ. Amen? So maybe you've stumbled and got stuck because of your pride. Maybe you've thought you know more than people because of your biblical knowledge, or maybe you feel you've moved past biblical knowledge. Both of those are sins that you really need to bring to Jesus. But the third one is this. We stumble in our faith because of our past. We trip up. We walk on. We stumble again because of our pride, and then we walk on a bit longer. And this one tends to be a walk more than a run, and we get there, and, and we stumble because of our perspective. Our perspective. What do I mean by that? Well, simple. Do we think that this is as good as it gets? Do we get here? Do we sit in life? Do we maybe come to church? We're part of a life group. Um, maybe we've even seen a friend of ours come to faith like eight years ago. And then we get to a point where we're like, well, I think this is as good as it gets. And we, and we just pause. We begin to stagnate in our spirituality. And for some of you, maybe, maybe you don't recognize this yet. Maybe for some of you, this is just something that is down the track that you need to watch out for. But for others of us, this is really real. We get to a point where our perspective begins to shift and we get so comfortable in our faith 
that it begins to get less like faith, that think living on the edge, that walking out the water that Jesus challenges us to and more like a spirit of religion where there's these comfortable boundaries and we sit back and flick on the remote and go, what's on church this week? Oh, actually, I don't think I'll go to church next week because I think I might have a family member who wants to catch up on the weekend. It's like, look, honestly, what you do is, is up to you. But if you want to grow, just make this a priority every week. Like, and, and the thing is, I feel like, I feel like a jerk saying that because I don't want to be like, pushing people to come to church. What I'm kind of saying is that's kind of the minimum standard. Like, I'm not saying come to church because that's what you have to do. What I'm saying is if you're not coming to church, I don't see very often people not coming to church and growing and flourishing in all of life the way Christ intended them to. This is kind of the minimum standard. This is why we just talked about this in um, Growth Track today. We put a pillar down and we say, be there on a Sunday every week. What? Every week. And then we say, plug into a life group and be there every week. Stop it. That's twice a week. Yes, it is. And then the rest of your week, Give to Jesus. Give it all to Jesus. You're on mission those weeks. But these are your pillars to lean on during the week. You go, well, but some weeks I'm sick. Yeah, okay, don't go those weeks. And some weeks I'm on holiday. Don't go those weeks. But what if your spirit was such that you were like, actually, even when I'm on holidays, like, why don't I check out what church is like in Renmark? Why don't, why don't, why don't I check out what church is like in Darwin or the Gold Coast? It's pretty sick on the Gold Coast. I've done that. I, you know, everything's sick on the Gold Coast. Why don't we put that in our spirits? That this is something we do, not because it's the right building to be in, but because we gather with like-minded sisters and brothers who lift us up in times of trouble and we say, glory to God, because I'm doing church here, I see more of the kingdom of God than I do when it's just my patch. I see the diversity of the full kingdom. We were so privileged to be able to worship in Fiji a couple of weeks ago. And it was just this school hall with 300 Fijians singing, I mean, I love you Encounter church, but Singing better than we sing, because Islanders, man, Islanders can sing. And it was stunning. It was so different, and we were the whitest people in the building. Like, they couldn't even put the lights on us because everyone had to put sunglasses on, you know. But it was glorious to worship with our Islander brothers and sisters and say, this is church. This is what we're doing. We're doing it not because we have to, but because when we do, our spirits are lifted. This should be a place of joy. Philippians is about joy. The presence of God in worship is about joy. The word unpacked is about joy. God is putting joy in your spirit. And when you plug into church, you don't just plug and go, fine, I'm here. You go, this is amazing. I want to bring joy to others because of the joy that Christ has put in me. That's what's happening. We are overflowing with the Holy Spirit. It's not just about what's happening up here. It's about much more what's happening down there in your spirits. So we get down here, and if we're not careful, our perspective shifts because we get complacent. We get bored. We get used to church, and we sit down and we're done with it. Or worse, we get this bad theology where we're like, maybe this is as good as it gets. So we'll just live however now, right? Oh, get out of here. Jesus has got more for us than that. Watch out for your past. Watch out for your pride. Watch out for your perspective. And finally, watch out for your passivity. Watch out for your passivity. This is what Paul says about that. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. 
Paul is talking about running a race that leads us onwards to the upward call of God in Jesus. And so we get down this point. And for many of us, maybe we have run a good race. We are getting in our latter years. Maybe we're in the third or fourth quarter of our life. And we get down here and we're like, wow, guess I can retire now. What do you, what do you mean? Like from your job? No, just from God. I can kind of retire. I take a breather. I've, I've, I've given a lot of my life to God. Great. Cool. Can you do that with your kids? <laughs> oh, well, kids, I'm retiring now, and I figure I've given a lot of life to being your parents. I'm no longer going to do it. <laughs> now, this is an exaggeration, but there is a particular spirit that I see, and I, and I want to target the, the older group of people, not just here, but listening, and maybe people you know that you can minister to and love, and then come back and bring it to people who are a bit younger. But for those of us who are a bit older, I see a spirit sometimes where we go, yeah, I mean, yeah, I did that, and I was a part of that ministry for a long time. Uh, yep, was involved in youth ministry, saw people come to faith, and yeah, you know, now it's just, I just kind of travel by caravan. That's my thing. And, and there's, there's actually a lot of those people, by the way, their perspective, they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm at church every week. They're at church every week. But there's a passivity about it. There's a sense, this is what I used to hate. I, I, my job, a, a little bit, I get to go around and preach around the state, but I used to do it a lot. And when I would do it at older churches, often people would come up to me and go, oh, it's so nice to see some young people passionate about their faith. It's like, one, patronizing. Two, young is a stretch at this point, despite the ripped jeans. Three, Where's your passion for your faith? Because the implication is, nice to see that I've passed that passion on to you. I'm off to the bowls club. I'm glad you're at the bowls club. Do you know why? Because there are people who need to know Jesus there. If you are not dead, you're not done in Christ. We never have a moment where we are afflicted by the boredom of not having a mission for God. We are constantly on God's mission. He is calling us onwards. And if you're not dead, you're not done. Don't assume that we are retired past this point. Don't ever assume that you put a stake down. And maybe you grew up in a Christian family and you have Christian grandparents and you love them, but you know they've just kind of retired from active faith as well. Why not have a conversation with them? Don't go up to them and go, hey, what, you know, don't be aggressive, but have the conversation. Because we actually, as part of the kingdom of God, are intergenerational. They learn from us, we learn from them. Every generation is learning from one another. Have the conversation with your grandparents. But here's where I want to bring it back to maybe more of the generations in this room. Finding a passivity in our faith, this stumbling block that we have down here, is actually not just about saying I've retired out of faith. Sometimes it's just going, you know what? I'm just so tired. I just don't think I can do this anymore. I've been Christianing all this stuff. I've been trying so hard and now it's just kind of done. I just don't think I can keep going. And often that's not because you don't want to. It's because stuff's happened in life that's beat you up. And it's, you've got to this point, you're like, I just, it's not that I don't love God. It's not that I don't love being in the house of God. It's, it's none of that. I just, I just can't. I'm, I'm with you in that. I think that exhaustion, that sense of spiritual depression is really, really real. And if you go through the Psalms, if you see Jesus in the desert, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
God understands that spirit. But God is also calling you out of that. God is a reconciler, a restorer. He's calling us out of darkness into light, out of brokenness into wholeness. And the beauty of it is, as he's with you in the brokenness and leading you through this exhaustion time, he will actually bring you to a place of greater refreshment, greater restoration. And when you get there, not only will you be more refreshed and restored, you'll be able to say, I can minister to my brothers and sisters because of what I've been through. Your experiences do not have to be the, the burden that's dragging you back. They can be the tools that equip you for ministry to others. That's what God wants for your experiences. Sometimes when we're crying out, where's God in all of this? He's right there saying, one more step, one more step. Are you closer to your breakthrough than you realized? How many people give up just so close to their breakthrough? How many people are like my daughter at the 300 meter mark, seeing the finish line and going, I'm stopping. Can I tell you, as a pastor, nothing breaks my heart more than somebody who's following Jesus and just stops. More than anything in the world, that breaks my heart as a pastor. Because you already knew. You already tasted the goodness of God, the grace of Jesus Christ for you. And, and, you, and you stopped. And I get it. I do. You're looking at somebody who suffers on and off with different mental health, anxiety and depression. I get it. I have been medicated and I've been clean from medication. I understand. Truly, I do. But I just need you to know that God has more, and no matter where you are now, God can bring you on. No matter the struggle you're in, God will bring you through. God has not forgotten you. But don't lose perspective and don't get passive. Don't quit. Don't stop. Because Paul says there is something you're running to. And I almost did this right, but my arrow wasn't tall enough. So I can see the arrow and nobody else can. But there's an arrow on that wall and you can all check it afterwards. Because God is calling us on to something. He's not just calling us on for the sake of calling us on. He's calling us on because he's saying, you are all on mission. I have work for you to do. There is purpose for your life. There is a world out there that doesn't understand the hope of Jesus, that doesn't understand. They're not called just to endure. They're called to overcome. They're not called to just be broken. They're called to be made new, reborn in Christ. And so when we go back to that language where Paul was like, he is, he's calling us onto the upward call of God, the heavenly call of God. It's not about being drifting up to heaven. It's about coming closer and closer to Jesus and saying, God, not only am I coming, look who I'm bringing with me. Look at what I'm bringing with me. Look what I've overcome on the way. I'd hurdle, but these skinny jeans aren't going to let me do that. But that's what it would be like. You're hurdling all these hurdles. You're getting over all these things. You're moonwalking past your problems and sprinting onto the finish in Jesus' name. I don't want anyone in this room, anyone listening via podcast, anybody at all to give up because God has never given up on you. God is calling you on. And maybe what you really need tonight is refreshment from that exhaustion and a reminder that God has purpose for you. Every breath you take is a gift from God, but it's a purposed gift. It's a purposed gift, church. Bed, you guys can come back up. Have we forgotten this? So going back to that 400-meter race with Grace, like I said, I got frustrated, not because she lost or because she wasn't fast, but because she stopped. Don't stop, friends. Don't quit. Don't pull out. There are seasons where you need to 
ebb and flow where you need to take a moment. You need to jump. There are seasons where you need to immerse yourself fully in the, in the team serving at church, for example, or in a ministry or starting something. There are seasons where you need to lean back. I'd encourage you, rarely if ever, pull out entirely. Don't disconnect from community in that way. It's a powerful part of community. But there are seasons to ebb and flow, for sure. But our calling is onwards. Our calling is upward into Christ. And in verse 18, this is what Paul says. He says, I say again with tears, with tears, church, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul was crying over these people, not because they were enemies to him, but because they didn't know the love of Jesus. The love that is available to you and me. The love that spurred God to become part of his own creation. The God that allowed creation to nail him to a cross. To take the sin of the world, the brokenness that you and I couldn't deal with, all the baggage we couldn't get past, all the pride we refused to get over, the perspectives that we couldn't lay down, the passivity that we couldn't move past. Jesus died for all of that. And in your worst moments, friends, he still would have died for you. Let me put it another way. Jesus died for the guy who shot all those people in Christchurch. Now, that's confronting. That's, of course, not to say he did the right thing. He's, he committed an awful, unspeakable act. But that's how much Jesus loves. That's a comment about the depth of Christ's love. Jesus loved everybody in those mosques. Jesus loved all the people involved in this shooting as broken and misguided as they are. And he is begging us to be his hands and feet, to go out in the world, to share a gospel of love and redemption with everyone. So church, what are you stumbling on tonight as you try and run the race of God? We're going to come into a time of prayer in a minute, but there's um, just a story I want to share with you. A very famous movie called Chariots of Fire. Who's, who's heard of Chariots of Fire? Or better yet, watched it. I actually haven't watched it. Chariots, I know, it's Best Picture winner, 1983. Fantastic. But um, it's, it's <laughs> 1983 Best Picture winner. It, it's fantastic. It is about Eric Liddell. Uh, Eric Liddell was a Scotsman. He was a runner and a missionary's kid. And basically, he got to this point in life where um, he was an excellent runner and he got selected to go to the Olympics as a 100-meter runner. But the 100-meter uh, heats were run on a Sunday. And Eric viewed that as the Lord's Day, and he refused to participate. An Olympic athlete refuses to participate. And so they end up having these conversations in and amongst the British team and somebody, the United Kingdom team, and somebody gives him his spot in the 400-meter heats instead. Now, 400 meters, like I just told you, you think you can sprint the whole way, but you can't, and Eric's a sprinter. So he gets through these heats just. And, he, and he, in, in, in one of the... Um, uh, yeah, in the, he gets through the heats just, and he gets to the final, and the coaches are looking at this guy, not the United Kingdom coaches, but the American coaches and from around the world, and going, honestly, don't even worry about him. He's going to smash himself. He will be done. And this other, this other racer passes this piece of paper over to him, and it just reminds him that God says, those, those who stand for me, I will help them overcome. I'll help them overcome the world. And so Eric sprints the 400 metres. He just sprints it because that's what he knows. And he gets a bit slower as he gets to the end, but because he burned so hard, 
and because he firmly believed that he was doing the will of God, not by winning, but by running the race to his greatest ability, he won. He won. And much more importantly than that, he did it in a way that stands out, that somewhere down the line, a Hollywood producer said, this story is so compelling that I want to share it with the world. And then it's won the best picture. It's going to live forever because of one man's devotion to running the race set before him. The other great thing about Liddell is when he was younger, when he was at college, he was trying out for the 100-meter sprints on the, way to the, on the road to the Olympics. And um, he was in this trial, and he starts to run, and he gets about 10 meters, and he gets bumped by the guy next to him off track, and he falls down. It's a 100-meter sprint, uh, 200 meters, sorry, 200-meter sprint. It's very hard to get back up and do anything with that. The natural thing to do would be go, I'm out, I'm done. And he gets up and he runs and he wins the heat because he knew that just because you stumble doesn't mean you can't overcome. This is what God is calling for you and for me, for us as a church. Let's pray together tonight. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to hear from you. For more information and resources, please check out our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review on your podcast provider. Have an amazing day. God bless.